I was considering a little bit, just for a few minutes this morning, in relation to coming to the fountain of living waters and drinking the Lord, that the Lord said in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Then at the very end of the Bible, when the Lord is promising to come and John is praying for him to come, there's this word, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears come. Let him who thirsts, isn't that what it says? Come. Whoever wills, let him take the water of life freely. And I was considering this. If one is not thirsty, one will not come. Uh, even at the end of the age, when the Lord is about to return, there's still this condition. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Then my question was, why do some thirst and others do not? And part of the answer, I believe, is this is God's sovereign mercy. Amen. To be thirsty and to know you're thirsty and to admit you're thirsty and to realize nothing else can quench the thirst, isn't that a mercy? On the one hand tonight, it's a Saturday night, people are hungry and thirsty and are doing things, not realizing it, to satisfy their hunger and thirst. But the shocking reality is many are not thirsty. They have no thirst. And so they will never come. I am so thankful to the Lord that we are thirsty people. Amen. We don't thirst out of dissatisfaction. We thirst out of longing for more of the Lord. The principle is the same with the matter we will consider tonight, and that is with eating. That if one is hungry, that hunger will be a motivation. If one realizes not only the hunger but what kind of food is proper to satisfy the hunger, that hunger will turn into a blessing. But if someone has no hunger for the word, no hunger for the truth, no hunger for the Lord, what a sad situation. Amen. That really is a sign of illness, of disease, to have no appetite, to be created in the image of God as a vessel to contain God, and to be so damaged as to have no appetite for God? What a work of the enemy to usurp humankind. It may be that on this weekend you're coming to this little conference for the first time tonight. So just the quickest of reviews so you don't sense distance from what we're sharing and you don't feel lost. The general subject is the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God. That these two go together. 
the more we enjoy the Lord, the more we are open to Him and one with Him and are willing to live for His purpose. We may be quite actually enthusiastic about receiving the truth concerning God's eternal purpose. That God wants to produce and build up the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. God wants to work himself into his chosen and redeemed people to make them everything to him. But then we need to ask how, not as a method, but as an organic way, how is this purpose carried out? And it's the revelation of the scripture and it's the experience of the victorious saints that God's purpose is carried out through our enjoyment of him. Amen. What we really enjoy is what we live for. Even if you're constrained by work and are prevented from doing what you love to do, that doesn't change your inward situation. When given the opportunity, given the time, given the money, then one will absolutely abandon oneself to what one enjoys, even if that is so destructive. I remember a long, long time ago, more than 40 years ago, some of us were visiting, you could say a gospel friend. He opened his apartment to us. And he just described the cycle of his life week by week. That every Saturday night, he would get really, really drunk. And then the next morning, he was sick. And he hated being sick. He hated having that hangover. But then he freely admitted he would do it again. The next week, on and on it went. I don't know if he's still alive or what his situation is. We need something proper to enjoy. Amen. And God created us so that we would enjoy him and live to his purpose. So the first message was enjoying God and living for his purpose. These two go together. On any given day, if you have some enjoyment of the Lord, as your situation allows in the beginning, that day will be a purposeful day. You'll sense at the end of that day, this day was in the line of the divine economy. This day was a contribution. The Lord advanced today. I made progress today. But if there's no enjoyment, then you have to admit, and as I sometimes say to my wife, it's not always in relation to this because there's a verse to back it up, but I tell her, another evil day bites the dust. <laughs> but we are, there are evil days in the world. So you may have a purposeful day, but it's still an evil day outwardly. We should have the sense at the end of any given day, Lord, today I enjoyed you. Today I lived to you. At least to some extent, I was open to you. I received your dispensing. You were able to live in me. You were able to flow in me. This day counts. I number this day among the days that matter in the sight of God. Then this morning, 
we saw how God's economy is consummated through our drinking of the triune God as the fountain, the spring, and the river. And we were especially burdened, weren't we, on the matter of the fountain, the unique source. Now we come tonight to eating, digesting, and assimilating God to become the body of Christ for God's administration. So this message is on enjoying the Lord by eating Him. Now, aren't you glad that you have the function of taste rather than not having it? Amen. That aren't you glad that eating is not a neutral thing? And aren't you motivated to eat? Whether, let's just leave aside whether you should be that motivated or not. But you're motivated to eat by taste, by enjoyment, not only out of hunger. You know, we live in a situation, at least for now, rich in provision. We may not have to wait until we're hungry. We can seek to eat something just for the sheer enjoyment of it. So God, when he designed us, he could have designed us taste neutral. Okay, these people, in order to exist, they will have to ingest some kind of food. That will be a necessity. Let's make it a mechanical thing. Three times a day, they have to take something in. No taste, no enjoyment. Then, then we're reduced to some kind of mechanical function. But even our physical body at times becomes a type of what God wants. And the way he created us with physical capacity for enjoyment is not insignificant. So this is the basic background. We enjoy the Lord by eating him. We enjoy the Lord by being with him. We enjoy the Lord by drinking him. We can't cover this tonight. We enjoy the Lord by living in the divine romance. Now we enjoy the Lord by eating him. I was praying with brothers before the meeting, and at one point our prayer went like this. Lord, it is, it is evening. And the day is far spent. Come in and eat with us. Amen. Have an evening meal with us. Amen. So I believe tonight we are having dinner with Jesus. Amen. Of course we can't see him. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, but he is here. He is here as the food. He is here as the host. He is here as the one of those enjoying the meal with us. Amen. It's very interesting that when Peter is preaching the gospel in the household of Cornelius, and he comes to the matter of resurrection, he says, we are those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Amen. And one instance of this is in John 21. And everything in John is a sign, a symbol with spiritual significance. This is a very, very well-known portion. That's one reason why we need to read it. Okay, the Lord would appear and then not appear. And so the brothers, they're kind of disoriented. So one day Peter says, I don't know about you, I'm going fishing. I mean... <laughs> 
I don't know what's going on. The Lord did manifest himself to us, and then we haven't, yet we haven't seen him for a while. And six or seven others said, we're going with you. It's one of these things you do because you can't stand doing nothing, and you're not, you don't know what you're supposed to do, so you do something in the hopes that it'll bring in some financial supply. So as we know, they fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. And then the Lord appears on the beach, and I am, uh, this is a free translation. He asks, are they biting? Are you catching anything? All the fish are over there. They're on that side. So you know the story. Peter throws in the net. John recognizes this is the Lord. He's the man of insight. Peter plunges into the sea. He's the man of action. Peter draws the net with all these fish in it. And then this is the situation. And when they got out onto the land, they saw a fire of coals laid there and fish lying on it and bread. This is, this is an early morning breakfast. And Jesus said to them, verse 12, Come and have breakfast. Nothing religious here. Come and have breakfast. Then verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Isn't this touching? At least Peter is soaking wet. The others have spent a sleepless night. They have no fish. First the Lord does a sign miracle to bring in the supply, and then he doesn't use that. Okay, you may ask me, where do these fish come? I don't know. I don't know who started the fire. I don't know what kind of bread it was. Probably multi-grain bread. That's <laughs> a worthy symbol of the bread of life. But there it was, and then he says, come and have breakfast. And then he takes the bread and the fish and serves it to them. Can you imagine that? He comes to Peter. Peter's all wet. W would you like some more fish? W would you like some bread? And then he distributes to the others. Are you okay? Would you like seconds? Would you like a little more? This is the resurrected Christ Amen. feeding these disciples. It's very precious. We have yet to be impressed with how much God longs to nourish us and to feed us with himself. And here you have this sign in John 21. That you may labor out of a sense of practicality or even boredom. Your labor comes to naught. But the Lord has a way. Where, say again, where the fish came from, where the bread came from. I don't know. You can ask. I don't think you'll get an answer. Come and have breakfast. This should be our Christ in the morning. Come and eat. Come and have breakfast. While you were going through the night, uh, I was watching over you. I was praying for you. I was interceding for you. I was shepherding you. I was administrating everything related to you. 
Now, before you do anything else, come and have breakfast. Another incident, even, I would say, more touching, is the case recorded in the Gospels. In Matthew, it's in chapter 15, of a woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. One, the principle of a demon in the Bible is rebellion. And when you see the cases of demon possession, that person is beyond human control. So here you have a desperate mother coming to the Lord, calling him the son of David, and saying, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is grievously demon-possessed. And he doesn't answer. And the disciples are bothered, as usual, don't understand the need or the Lord's intention, as usual. But we shouldn't point the finger, because the as usual is our situation. Then the Lord says to her that, in effect, I'm only sent to the Israelites. I'm the son of David to the Jews. And then she prays again. And he refers to bread. That, can I take the children's bread and give it to dogs? And this woman... She's beyond being offended. She's desperate for her daughter. She said, even the little doggies under the table get to eat the crumbs. Amen. So you refer to me as a dog. Okay, I'm a little doggy under the table. And you are the children's bread, but the crumbs have fallen onto the Gentile territory. And I'm a little doggy under the table. Amen. Then the Lord was really touched. And then he said, your daughter is healed. Amen. Recently, I was helped this way with this. We often come to the Lord out of a desperate need. And we should do that. How can you pray fancy prayers when your daughter's demon-possessed, when you poured out your whole being in caring for this particular child, and now the thing is hopelessly beyond you. How can you not voice that as the first thing you want to say to the Lord? Have mercy on me and deliver my daughter here is the point. The Lord is not indifferent to the need that motivates the prayer. But he has a higher priority. You may be very ill. You may be in dire financial circumstances. You may be just so lonely as an older single person wanting a counterpart. And you, you can pray, and you should pray to the Lord. And you know what it's like when the prayer really reaches desperation level. 
that your spirit is so desperate. Suppose the Lord had said, I have mercy on you. Your daughter is healed. We would have had no revelation. She would have been so thankful that her daughter is healed. But there's one thing the Lord wanted to do for her and wants to do for us that in his eyes is more crucial than the desperate matter that caused us to pray to him. And that is, he wants to feed us. Amen. He realizes that underlying every kind of desperation is the need for himself as nourishment. And he, this doesn't mean if you're a younger believer, a newer believer, or you're in a weakened situation, the Lord may do this. But eventually, he will not respond at first to your desperate prayers. Amen. That's just the fact. And then you pray from another angle. Eventually, there's some response. And then there's the realization. I need to eat Jesus. Amen. No matter how great the need is, there is a fundamental need that is the key to the Lord's operating in my situation. And that is I eat him. So on the human side, we come to him. Eventually, even the most self-reliant, the most capable male, that man, will be brought to the point where he will shamelessly pray. And that is a great breakthrough. So whatever the reason is, we contact him. We need to realize that at least at certain times, the Lord will do something else first. And he will cause us to realize something else first. And that is, we need bread. We need food. That our eating him is the key to his entering into the situation that our prayer represents and brings to him. Then there's the eating. And then he says, your daughter's okay. I took care of the demon." I cast out the enemy. The power of Satan in this situation is broken. But his higher purpose is to nourish us. I say again, when in your human life, in your family life, in whatever is your situation, there's something that really worries you, it frightens you, you're desperate, you should pray. How can you say, oh Lord, I'm praying for the working of the high, high peak of the divine revelation. What, what is that? You want your daughter to be healed of the demon. You just have no heart to talk about, oh, I want to live in the life of the divine dispensing for the corporate expression of the triune God that will consummate in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, in the new earth. That this kind of mental construct is gone now. 
you are desperate. Lord, Lord, my daughter, my daughter. I'm a mom full of feeling and desperation for my daughter. She has a demon. It's not only a human situation. The, the enemy is here. I can only appeal to you. Then, we have an expectation when we pray like that. This is why this actually is not an elementary lesson. The expectation is, surely the Lord is going to act right away. He is sovereign. He has all the authority. He, he is full of love. And we appeal to him for mercy. So that's going to touch something tender in him. No answer. Now we have a silent Jesus and criticizing apostles, telling us, will you get rid of her? Will you send her away? This is where they were in their full-time training. Maybe they had a class in, in caring for people. She is irritating us. I don't care about her daughter. I don't care about the demons. We, we don't like her tone. We, we don't want her here. She's not a Jew. Send her away. And so here she is. The disciples want her to go away. And she's not about to. Okay? Call her what you want. When a female's this desperate, she doesn't care what you call her. She wants action from the Lord. And then eventually an utterance comes out of her that captures the Lord. A particular kind of prayer that's irresistible. Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs. Okay. She's not trying to outwit the Lord. But sometimes the Lord wants to be captured by particular utterances in prayers. Don't think you can compose this. You may be a poet. You may have memorized much of Shakespeare. You may be articulate. But you can't form this kind of prayer. It comes from the depths. It comes from desperation. It comes from revelation. I'm a little Gentile doggy under the table. The bread has been cast off. Here are the crumbs. I claim eating rights to crumbs. I'm satisfied with a crumb. You just give me one crumb. I believe that will take care of my whole situation. Here you see, coming together, the longing in the Lord to feed us and our need to realize our intrinsic hunger. The problems are real. We should seek the Lord about the problems. But in his view is, there's something more crucial than that. And that is, you need to eat me. You need me to be bread to you. Your daughter needs you to eat me. Your situation needs you to take in bread. If you will take in bread, I will have a way into the situation. Now another matter, and there are just two more and we'll go through the outline. How long it will take? I don't know. 
Do you, do you understand what part of your being is your spiritual stomach? Amen. The human spirit is the spiritual stomach. Amen. The human spirit as the spiritual stomach is the God contacting, receiving, and digesting organ. That means... The hunger is really not in the soul. The thirst may be in the soul. The need for enjoyment is in the soul. The hunger is from the depths of the human spirit. And the spirit is the spiritual stomach. And we will see that in God's dispensing... We receive the life supply as nourishment into our spirit where it is digested, where it is is, um, processed. Then it needs to be sent through our inner being. I don't know the function of the digestive system in detail, how this works, but surely it goes into the bloodstream, then it permeates your whole body. So the stomach... You have a spiritual stomach. It may not sound glamorous. I'd rather not spend too much time thinking about anybody's stomach. (laughs) But we do have one. And that's where the hunger is. And everyone on earth is hungry in spirit. For the vast majority, it's so covered over, it's so buried... It's engulfed by the soul with its power and its intentions. But that's where the hunger is. Now the last opening point is this. It's a real simple one. There are certain things in our life with the Lord that we have to do ourselves. No one can do for you. Uh, Not even God, not your angel, uh, not the church, not the brothers and sisters, not the elders, not the co-workers. Like right now, aren't you breathing? Uh, Does anyone here have a surrogate that's breathing because you're kind of tired of this? No. (laughs) That I, I was the recipient of a very healthy meal. There were four of us at the table, and I ate my food all by myself. <laughs> Talking like a little kid here, all by myself. I didn't, I didn't buy it. I didn't prepare it. There it was, and I had to take it in and masticate it and swallow it, and now it's in my tummy, and it's going to be digested and assimilated. This may sound trivial but you need to realize as our physical existence shows we all have to do certain things by ourselves like you love your wife don't you you love your wife I have no right to say I love you I'm not the wife I'm not the husband only you can say this Only you had the standing to say this. You can't hire a professional to say I'm speaking on Manny's behalf 
quote, I'm quoting Manny, I love you. Um, unless you're in prison somewhere, she's not going to receive that. <laughs> and, and no one dare not do that. If you don't say it, I've told this story before, but it's quite touching. My dad told me this for some reason when I was a teenager. A man he worked with at the Ford Rouge plant told him this about his married life. And he was much older at that time than my dad. This is what he told his wife on their wedding night, this man. He said, I love you. I married you because I love you. I will always love you. And I will never say this again. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Maybe he's just, you know, just self-conscious about this. Imagine having to play that back for decades, okay? You know, we were 24 then. Now he's 69, and I'm like this now, and he's like that now. How does he feel about me? Look, he said it once for all. And you have to live on that your whole life. Well, the things of life are never once for all in the life practices. You don't breathe once for all. You don't drink once for all. You don't eat once for all. You don't tell the Lord, I love you. I don't recommend this. You say, Lord, I love you. I believe in you because I love you. I'm joined to you because I love you. I will always love you, and I will never say this again. That is really ultra-manly in the natural sense. That the things of life are constant. They're repetitious. And even if you're nursing a child or feeding a child some simple food, the mother cannot eat for that child. Can, can, can you put your hand under the jaws and force the chewing? Can you force the swallowing, the digestion? You can't. This means if you don't enjoy the Lord, if you don't eat Jesus, no one can replace you. No one can do it. Not your angel. Not God himself. Look, the, the Lord prepared the fish and the bread on the fire, so it was baked. And it was warm. Broiled fish. Doesn't get healthier than that, right? Broiled fish. Hot bread. He said, come and have breakfast. He gives them the fish and the bread, but he can't eat it. One of the saddest things is for saints to be in the church life, in the Lord's recovery, and to be the receivers of a vast store of food brotherly left us not recipes mainly, but groceries. Time after time, these groceries are cooked 
Every training, every conference is a feast. And the brothers have been cooking, preparing, and it's presented. But you have to take it in yourself. No one can replace you. That you don't have to write the outlines for Holy Word for Morning Revival, right? And did anyone call you and ask you what reading selections there should be, what hymn there should be? You don't have to do that. And you don't have to typeset it. Do you have to typeset it? What about proofreading? Did you do the proofreading? Did you take it to the printer? Did you bind it? Did you box it up? Did you ship it? You just go somewhere and you get it. Now it's somewhere in your house. It could be under the penny saver, on the dishwasher. Who knows where things are, okay? But you either feed on the Lord or you don't. You have to do it. We can pray for you. We can't do it for you. But you need to realize there is a being in this universe whose constant object is to stop your eating of the Lord. To stop you. To interfere with it. To frustrate it which is an indicator of how crucial this is. Tomorrow morning, I will need to get up at a suitable time, and I will. I need to go through the whole routine again. I need to shower. I need to shave yet again. Get dressed. And then either I will or I will not enjoy the Lord by eating him. Okay, I've got this smartphone, much smarter than I am, I admit. And on this smartphone, I have hundreds of ministry books. I have life studies. I have the hymnal. I have the recovery version. And I also have email. Okay? So, I may not have the whole Bible with me. I happen to have it this time for, to travel light. I pick up this phone, what's the choice? Email or e-mana? <laughs> right? What's first? I wish I could say I never did email first. But I'd rather be honest with you. So then you go email first. And then a lot of this stuff is junk, so you delete it. Then you get into something. Then you think about it. Then you answer it. And it's time to go to work. I don't think the way to overcome this is for all of us to smash our smartphones <laughs> and to be technologically illiterate. I don't think that's a responsible way to live. But I need to reign in life over this T-Mobile, 3G T-Mobile dash, so that when it's time to check email, I'll check email. But the first priority is not email. It's not Yahoo. The first word out of my mouth should not be Yahoo, unless you say, Yahoo, Lord Jesus. <laughs> it shouldn't be Gmail with 
You know, we, we also, if we got onto Gmail, you know, we didn't realize that we signed a waiver that gives Google the right to survey all that's going on in our Gmail. Did you know that? And so they can find out certain things and then they can work with certain advertisers. Anyway, my point is, this is a practical choice. It is your basic question every day. You, do, you can't do it once for all. This is you can't eat once for all. You can't decide, I will eat you, Lord, every morning and enjoy you every morning the rest of my life. That's a good intention. But maybe by November 17th, that's a particular morning. And that general decision doesn't cover it. What about today? So many things are in your mind. What about today? We have the highest truth from the Word of God. We have the clear presentation of the organic way ordained by God to carry out His But the battle is still right here, just as it was in the very beginning in the garden. What will you eat? Will you eat? Everything comes out of this. We can breathe, we breathe in the life essence, we drink the spirit, but the solid supply is in the food. And we need to eat, digest, and assimilate God to become the body of Christ for God's administration. So let's say on any given Lord's Day morning, the districts in the churches or the church in Vista and Chula Vista and the districts of the church in San Diego meet. And no one for the previous seven days ate the Lord Jesus. No one. Now we come together to have the Lord's table. The only thing we can do is have a formal meeting. That's all. There is no overflow. There is no fullness. Because the individual members have not been eating. Thankfully, that's never the situation. But what is the situation is the improper reliance on others eating. You just assume, well, okay, this week was a wipeout. But I'm really, really glad that Jorge has been enjoying the Lord every day. So somehow, I'll just get some of his oil. But Jorge may say, go buy for yourself, man. <laughs> That's right out of Matthew 25, right? You got to go buy for yourself to those who sell. So this is a body matter. It's a God's eternal purpose matter. That's the way we become the body of Christ in reality to carry out God's administration. We need to connect these things. Feeding on the Lord and the building up of the body of Christ. This also is a hypothetical illustration. You know, there's a love feast. The brothers announce a love feast. And you've been preparing for love feasts for decades. Since 1973, you've been doing love feasts. So this one time you decide, 
I will opt out. This time I'll just come. That's understandable. You get in one of these moods. But let's suppose everyone made the same decision. Everyone trusts there will be abundance, there will be supply, there's always the supply. And then we come together and there's corporate nothing. <laughs> Where do you think the fullness comes? Does, it, it's not a miraculous thing that descends. It comes out from within us. The corporate expression is an expression of what has been constituted into us. That's what the church is. It's the corporate expression of the Christ who has been wrought into our being. That is why, as I said this morning, I need to drink not only for my own thirst, I need to drink for the church. I'm not too much to say because of the responsibility I share with many others. I need to enjoy the Lord for the whole recovery. Amen. Right? We're going to Cebu and then after that China. I need to enjoy the Lord Jesus for the churches in China. That doesn't make me or anyone a hero. It's just you realize this is a body matter. I'm doing this so that there will be a life supply flowing. Okay, I think we have some impression. We'll go through the outline, and I want to emphasize one point on digestion. God desires, wow, we know what God desires, that you eat, digest, and assimilate him. God's intention is that you would take him by eating him. Now, I'm not maligning anybody. Do you think the Pope knows this? I don't think Pope Benedict, is that who he is, the 16th, that he knows this. Uh, they have the notion of, you know, the, the transubstantiation so-called in the Eucharist and all of this. But I'm not sure the Pope eats and digests and assimilates Jesus. And tomorrow morning, there's going to be a lot of religious services. And a lot of professionals are going to give sermons. I doubt whether very many of them will speak based upon their eating, digesting, and assimilating of God. This is what God wants. That's his intention. Okay, eat, digest, assimilate. Now consider the food you eat. At what point do you live by it? Do you live by the food you're tasting? You don't. That's where the enjoyment is. The enjoyment is in the taste. Do you live by the food that's in your stomach? The fullness, the sense of satisfaction, is in your stomach. I don't know diseases. I don't know physiology. But it's possible to have a condition where you take in the food and it's immediately evacuated, right? It just is expelled. And that can be life-threatening. There's no digestion or assimilation of what is eaten. Our real situation is not, not merely that we need to eat Jesus with the concept of tasting him, 
But what we taste needs to enter into our spiritual stomach to be digested. But we live by the food we eat when it's assimilated through the circulation of the blood. Is that not the case? Is this not the principle? That is when there's the metabolism. That is when there's the constitution. So even if we eat perpetually, from time to time I really labor over this, especially about my generation. How can so many be in the church life so long and attend so many conferences and trainings and not grow, Amen. except grow old. <laughs> not grow. This is grotesque. Amen. This is serious. There's a brother in a certain church. I love this brother. I do not judge him. In shepherding, a little, I asked the wife, is so-and-so happy? And she said, no, my husband is not happy. And he's there meeting after meeting, training after training, and at least part of the situation is lack of digestion. And when we come to Roman numeral 3, we will see this explicitly. I won't leave you in the dark and hide behind the general use of the term digestion. We need to know what this is so that we can have it. Okay? It's not hard. Okay? You can do it. You don't need a PhD in food assimilation. In order to, you know, even Nobel Prize winners, they need to breathe like the rest of us. They need to eat like the rest of us. But this is a particular burden on this outline. You can taste. You can be full. But I don't, one of two things happens. This is in the spiritual medicine. Either there's some disorder where it's all evacuated, or there is a kind of psychological tumor that appropriates all the nourishment, like a cancer. It just takes it all, and then the self gets stronger, the disposition hardens, the peculiarity develops. That's why in 1980 or so, Brother Lee had a training just on this, and only in Anaheim, with the question, does your growth in life match your years in the church life? And we all were the same. And he identified the diseases in this big book. And just because of the Lord's operation in me, I had to get into this for almost 30 years now. First to receive the Lord's healing for my own elements. And then hopefully to minister to the seeking saints. This is crucial. If we don't digest and assimilate, nothing enters into our constitution. 
it's true physically. It's the physical picture is the type of the body of Christ. How is it in 2,000 years, no built-up body of Christ with all kinds of things, divisions, substitutes of Christ, clergy laity system. But even among us, the Lord's recovery, we can say, began officially 47 years ago in 1962. We are still not a full-grown man. That's not a judgment. It's an observation. And we're touching one of the keys. I don't want anyone to be scared. I'm just your brother. I'm a slave of the Lord. The Lord covers me to say, but I see through everything. Your education doesn't impress me. Your natural dignity doesn't impress me. Your social standing, whatever you have by nature, it doesn't mean anything. And I would not impress you with, if I have any of those things, even though I'm from Motown and went to Blue Collar U. I've got, I don't have any prestige in my whole history. But we want to be on a direction of normality where every day we eat a little and we digest and assimilate what we eat. There is a brother, I'm sorry to say, that he is in isolation and in darkness. But he once told his wife many years ago, unless you read X number of life study messages every week, I will not fellowship with you. Probably about a dozen you got to read. Well, I don't doubt that this brother himself did it. But everything he took in has been appropriated by a tumor. And he's probably older than I am. I know he's older than I am. So he's at least in his early 70s, if not middle 70s. We're talking about a real thing. This is not theory. We're in the doctor's office now. And we're all patients. That we need to eat, digest, and assimilate God to become the body of Christ, and then through the body, God administrates on the earth. It's crucial. It's that crucial. We eat our way into the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. Two, eating implies both dispensing and mingling. Eating is the way to experience God's dispensing for his expression. The food eaten, digested, and assimilated by us actually becomes us. This is a matter of mingling. Now we come to the section on spiritual digestion. And I believe this is worth, if we look at the meeting this way, the whole meeting. You're coming here. Just for this. As we eat the Lord Jesus... We need to have spiritual digestion. Now we have scripture verses from three portions. We never base a doctrine or a teaching on a single verse. There must be the testimony of more than one. And we have Ezekiel 
And God came and showed Ezekiel this scroll and told him to eat the scroll. And then God said, cause your belly to eat. He didn't ask him to just taste it. Cause your belly to eat. That's referring to the inner parts, the spirit. Then in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And am I quoting accurately? Your word became to me. Not simply it was to me. It became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So now the word he ate went to his spirit and it became joy and rejoicing in his heart. There's a proverb somewhere in the book of Proverbs. It says a joyful heart has a continual feast. Someone who maintains her or his joy. This was Brother Nee. There's a continual feast within. So the word became joy and rejoicing. On Wednesday night, I'm drawing a parallel. I use this verse. I ask the trainees in all the trainee houses for their 1015 prayer. The pray read 2 Peter 1.19 about the word of prophecy made more sure, made more firm, to which you give do well to take heed until the day dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts. There's an until. You don't turn it into a fast food exercise. There's an until. And when something dawns, the, the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts. This means in your inner being, you're anticipating the Lord's coming. In your inner being, you're living in the coming age. Well, to digest the word as Jeremiah did is to allow it to enter your inward parts. And it makes you happy. One reason I decided at 19 that there wouldn't be any happiness was just my disposition by birth. And the disposition by birth was activated and intensified by certain sad experiences. So for me, this is a testimony for me to have joy in my heart is not an easy thing. Joy in my heart? For what? For what? There's something in my being that's a killjoy. Ever heard that expression? Some of us, we remember things like Kilroy was here and remember killjoy. Okay. Sorry, we're from another age, you know. <laughs> but... My testimony is, I have joy and rejoicing in my heart when I eat the Word of God. Amen. It somehow conquers everything and brings joy and rejoicing to my heart. So the joy and rejoicing do not depend on any person. My wife is most precious. But my joy does not rest on her. Wise men know, don't rest anything on the female vessel. Equal time, 
Don't make your husband. Don't make your children. Don't make your job. Don't make anything the basis of your joy. That's all the enemy has to do is manipulate that a little bit and you're gone. But if something gets into you, not only into your spirit, but then into your heart, it becomes the joy and rejoicing of your heart. So tonight, how my body feels, I don't know. What mood I'm in, I don't know. I don't care. But my heart is happy. Amen. My heart is happy. I have a happy heart. Amen. You can almost take, I, I might even smile, right? <laughs> okay, but don't make me post. Then in, then in Revelation, another scroll. But you have to eat the scroll. And because of the content of the scroll, it's one of these things that the Lord said, it will be sweet as honey to your mouth and bitter to your stomach. But you have to prophesy to the nations. And the word that's given to all the nations on the earth is not a pretty word. If, if, if God could speak freely to all the governments, to all the leaders, if God could speak freely, his feeling to all the leaders in U.S. government, from the president on down, to all the cabinet members, all the czars, the Speaker of the House, the Leader of the Senate, they would be quite striking words of warning, of admonition, motivated by mercy. So, so John, I don't know how he did it in the spiritual realm. You have to prophesy to many, many nations, many tongues. So you've got to take in something for the earth. God is speaking something to the whole earth. Amen. So you'll get a little enjoyment when it comes in your mouth, but when it hits your inner being, you'll sense the bitterness of it. You have to bear it. But it makes the point, in all three cases, there is digestion. Now the points under it will be clear. If we have good digestion, there will be a thoroughfare for the food to get into every part of our inner being. So digestion has to do with a thoroughfare. None of us can say that we're empty in our soul. There are dear saints that they, they, have, they have memories of offenses. They go back decades. Others have accumulated feelings that they've never cleared up, especially the men brothers. They won't even acknowledge that they have any feeling. They define themselves into uprightness. They would say, oh, me, no, 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 no. I, I would never be offended. I would never, I would never lose my temper with anybody. Why do you, why do you say that? Then our mind full of thoughts, full of opinions, full of concepts, full of impressions. That's where the food needs to go, to our inward parts, to our heart, to our soul, our mind, emotion, and will. That's where it needs to go. Now, you cannot deal with what is already there, but you can be open, and you can open your heart. I pray this every day. Lord, I turn my heart to you. I open my heart 
to you. I'm not going to measure how much I can open. Am I really open? Am I really, really open? Am I really, really, really open? Am I open on the surface? Am I open in the depths? I don't know. Lord, you know. I'm going to be simple and just say, I open to you. And my decision is that you have access to every inward part. Why should I still be bearing a feeling about something that happened in 1959? Why should I bear that? Then, then you add to that something that happened in 1961, in 64, in 69, the years and years, and they, they weigh you down. It takes a lot of energy just to get through a day bearing all of this. Then the mind, with those that are older, with the memories. One of the things, of the most of the things I can't do is sell anything. But out of desperation in 1971, I tried to sell hearing aids. <laughs> I mean, it was really a joke, but I, I tried to do it. And I visited one very dear elderly lady to whom I did not sell a hearing aid. And she said, I am content with my life because I have so many memories. So that was in 1971. Surely she has passed on. So we may live in our memories. And with the memories, there are feelings. And we can leave a meeting like this and enter the realm of memory and we, we just have such an experience. The young, they don't have that much to remember. So they're living in their dreams, in their fantasies, their future orientation. And so the mind is occupied either with dreams, fantasies, or memories, opinions, concepts, views. And if the Lord could do a, a spiritual body scan of so many saints of my generation, he would say, there's no room. There's no room. You have to give me room. Even the things that happened to you environmentally were designed to break through and they only hardened you more. Now what am I to do? And sometimes the Lord cover us. The Lord can only allow that person to be devastated at the very end. And then they break through. Then the Lord does an intensified work. And they make it into the kingdom. But no one else benefited from that. If the Lord got through 40 years earlier, then how many lives would be enriched? How many churches would be blessed? How many saints would be nourished? How much you would contribute to the building up of the church? This is for real. There needs to be a thoroughfare for the food to get into every inward part of our being. At least from time to time you should tell the Lord, Lord, I open my heart to you. I want the spiritual food to get into my heart, to touch what I love. My mind, Lord, my thoughts, my memories my concepts, my reasoning, Lord, all of my emotion. What kind of feelings are in me? 
I was with some young people in Philadelphia. They were naughty. I know they were naughty. They threw a snowball at a car. As if some, some of us, we, we grew up where there's snow and we were also naughty. He shouldn't have done that. Didn't dent the car, didn't damage the car. But the driver stopped and he was furious. He was in a rage. Where did that come from? You think it came from the snowball? A normal person doesn't react with that kind of fury because someone threw a snowball at your beamer. That is just the trigger for an accumulation. That's why we have at least one hymn on, on digging. A hymn, not in the hymnal, Brother Lee's hymn. On digging our inward parts into my heart is blocked from flowing, is blocked from going. But in simplicity, we need this. We need a lot of emptying out. And many of us positively, we can testify with thankfulness to the Lord. Lord, thank you for emptying me of so many things that were occupying me. Feelings, concepts, thoughts. Now, Lord, my prayer is, just flow in me. I open every part of me. B, indigestion means there is no way for Christ as the spiritual food to get into our inward parts. That's indigestion. Then with indigestion, then there's no enjoyment, and eventually there's loss of appetite. And no enjoyment, so you're not that pleasant to be with. No appetite, so there's no way you can grow. And so you stay the same until you die. Amen. See, this is a real situation. I, sometimes I wish I, I didn't have this portion. I didn't realize this. It's not the way the Lord constituted me. I care for the beings of the saints. I don't spy at them, snoop. I just care for their situation. So we need to begin with saying, Lord, I want to eat, digest, and assimilate you. You're the physician. You know my condition. On my part, I open. I tell you, I'm willing for you to touch anything and to go anywhere. And then when you do this, sisters, you will lose your most effective weapon with us men. And that is, your tears will not work with God. Not the tears of self-pity, not the tears of protecting yourself. Oh, I'm crying now. Oh, I'm crying. Okay, that means don't go any further. The Lord isn't cruel, but he is persistent. He may say, I thought you prayed. I thought you prayed about this. I took you at your word. And so I'm going to press on because I hear a deeper cry, deeper than your tears. And that you are crying but your spirit is saying, don't stop, Lord. Gain me. Gain me. Get through in me. He really is wonderful. We need to keep our whole being with all of our inward parts open to the Lord so that the spiritual food will have a thoroughfare within us. If we do this, we will have proper digestion and assimilation 
we will absorb Christ as spiritual nourishment and Christ will become our constituent. This is normal. Please don't examine yourself. Don't ask me to examine you. <laughs> Even if I were free to say something, it's not going to help you. You need to be with the Lord and tell the Lord, I want to eat, digest, and assimilate you Amen. so that you can fill my whole being. Amen. Then leave the whole matter to him. For God's economy is that we eat Christ and be constituted with him in order to express him and represent him. God's eternal plan is to dispense himself into us so that he becomes every fiber of our inward being. Then you will have image and you will have representation. You will have dominion. God's economy is not a matter of outward things, but of Christ coming into us inwardly. For this, we need to take Christ by eating him. Now we come to, actually, Matthew 15. The way to, for us to become the reality of the kingdom of the heavens is to eat Christ as the all-inclusive bread. Because this is king bread. It's kingly bread. It's kingdom bread. Those of you who, who shop discreetly, at natural food places. Have you ever seen anything called kingdom bread? Well, my father owns a food store, and the only kind of bread he has is kingdom bread. Amen. It has, goes under different names. It's Jesus bread, it's life bread, it's Zoe bread, but this is the, the amazing thing. The king rules us by becoming bread, not by with a rod of iron but becoming bread, getting inside of you, and then the kingly life in the bread rules you. And it's so pleasant. So A says, as the heavenly king, the Lord Jesus rules over us by feeding us with himself as bread. That's how he does it. That's why he wouldn't be a king in John 6. He said, I didn't come to be a king in the way you expect. I'll come again, then I'll be the king. But I'll come again to be the king with many of those who are my reproduction, who allowed me to reign over them by eating me. By eating Christ as the all-inclusive bread, we are subdued and brought under his kingly and heavenly rule, and thus are constituted with the reality of the kingdom. You may be defeated, but not be subdued. I'm not boasting in my ancestry. The Finns. Finland is close to Russia. Finland has, has had many, many wars with Russia. The famous one in around 1939 to 41, the Winter War. The Finns were always defeated by the Russians, superior forces, but never subdued inwardly. Same thing with the Poles. Few nations have suffered as much as Poland because of its situation, armies, intersecting there. But on the last visit, I realized they were never subdued. So the Lord may defeat you, and you may think, aha, that's the victory. Well, Jacob was defeated, wasn't he, in Genesis 32, but took him quite a while to be subdued. Amen. A lot more years. And he was subdued eventually only many years after he lost Joseph. Then he was subdued. 
that um, I think I have learned this after 43 years. Ron, don't try to either defeat or subdue your wife. Even if you could defeat her by using your intellect and your will, it would be destructive. It wouldn't be an act of love. It wouldn't bless her. As far as subduing her, forget about it. That what we both need is to take the Jesus bread into us. Amen. And then subdue. Some can't control their own mind. They can't control their thoughts. They lie in bed at night. They can't control their thinking. Some can't control their moods. I asked one of my kids who was being ornery about something and was irascible, irritable. I said, son, why do you do that? Why are you like that? He said, I don't know. I don't know. So this bread subdues us. It doesn't squish us like a bug. It subdues us. And then we find, I don't have controversies with the Lord anymore. I'm not bothered by the way he does things or what he doesn't do. I'm just calm within. The kingdom bread has subdued me. All the kingly elements are in this bread. Thus, the more we eat Christ as the all-inclusive bread, the more the royal ingredients are constituted into us to become the ruling element within us. Now, if a brother has some experience and he's overseeing the church, or he's serving in the ministry. This is how he'll represent God. This is what he'll trust in. We're not controlling the churches, directing the churches, directing the saints. Who are we? Even our Lord doesn't operate that way in the present age. So we've been eating kingdom bread. It subdued us. And so we say, come and have breakfast. There's fish. There's bread. We know you're clever. I mentioned last night, you're clever. Oh, well, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to subdue me by giving him kingdom bread. So I don't want to be subdued, so I'm not eating the subduing bread. I say, okay. It's okay. We won't force you to eat it. We just wait till you're hungry. Just wait till you're hungry. That's all. Eventually you'll say, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll eat some of this bread even though I know it's going to subdue me. And then you don't even know you're being subdued because it's a mysterious process. And then you're, you're so much happier. See, there's not much enjoyment when we are defiant with the Lord, to say the least. If we're at odds with him, if we have a controversy, we're funded by him. We don't like what he's doing. We're angry at him. Whoa, that's, that's a real enjoyment killer. And the Lord knows how we feel, and he has preserved us in life. He would say, no, I chose you. I want to gain you. I, I could deal with you in an instant by authority. I don't want to. I'd rather feed you and bear with you for a period of time and subdue you by bread, make you a testimony of the subduing power of kingdom bread. Amen. Amen. I don't know what could be a weightier testimony 
a mature sister could give to younger sisters than this. I enjoy the Lord and live in the reality of the kingdom and I have been subdued by kingdom bread. Amen. Here you have a woman who's a real woman, happy to keep her position in the Lord, no better than anyone else concerning the negative elements in her being, but she has found the key. I know some sisters like this. Amen. I live because of their prayers. Amen. They prayer kingly prayers Amen. because they've been subdued by kingdom bread. Amen. And their prayers are the exercise of the kingdom. And they bring in bountiful supply. Amen. Now the last section and we're done, which will give us more than 20 minutes. This is showing us that we're all one body because we all partake of the one bread. Amen. Our joint partaking of the one bread makes us one. Tomorrow morning, we'll remember the Lord with the breaking of bread. There'll be an unleavened loaf there representing the physical body of Christ and the mystical body of Christ. We will break that bread into fragments and we will each take a piece. Now that same bread exists, but not on the plate, but in us all. That is the bread that we eat, becoming the body of Christ. So it's not just about your being subdued and your being satisfied and your being happy. It's about the one body. Our joint partaking of the bread makes us one. I believe in due time in the city of Jerusalem, Israelis, other expatriates that are there, Arab believers, Palestinians, they will be a testimony of oneness because they eat the same bread. Amen. What will solve the Middle East crisis is bread. It's not the UN. <clears throat> I don't know whether there should be a Palestinian state or not. We know from prophecy there'll be no political solution. But in the church as the new man, there will be a testimony Amen. of human impossibility fulfilled by bread. Not by trying to understand each other, not by tolerating or accommodating each other. We all take the same bread in, and it makes us one. Our partaking of Christ makes us all his one body. <clears throat> the Christ of whom we partake makes us one. It's not even the Christ in whom you believe. I could believe in the food that was on the table. I could appreciate it. Well, that's fish, that's multi-grain rice. Eating that multigrain rice is like, it's like eating grain itself. And look at the fruit. I believe this is so good. I, I'm just so thankful for it. I'll tell you, I could brag about it. I could boast about it. I could, I could take pictures about it. Did I tell you I have a smartphone and I can take pictures? <laughs> if I can find out where the camera button is and then where the pictures are after I take them. <laughs> but then I die believing in, appreciating, extolling, praising, talking about the food. You have to actually 
eat. Amen. Actually eat. Amen. And then it will make us one. Amen. It's the Christ of whom we partake that we are made one. Amen. If you and your husband do not partake, you won't be deeply one. Amen. You won't. You can't. You'll be one flesh according to the old creation. And you may have some kind of accommodation. But you won't have the, the oneness in Ephesians 5. That's divine and mystical. Where the human love and the divine love are mingled in a divine human married life. To be a type of Christ in the church. That comes by eating. So I don't try to be one with anybody. You shouldn't try to be one. Don't act one. Don't pretend to be one. Don't put on your oneness face. That's worse than trying to smile for a camera, I think. <laughs> Just eat the bread. Amen. It'll do wonders in you. Amen. You know, I was a little boy in the 1940s. I don't know how my mother learned this, but she never fed me white bread. She fed me Keplinger's health bread, even in the 40s. So I owe my mother yet another debt of gratitude. I'm glad she fed me health bread on my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, I had a limited diet. That was my lunch every day. Sandwich means peanut butter and jelly. But she fed me health bread. Christianity will feed you white bread, wonder bread, signs and wonder bread. I don't know if wonder bread is still a brand. I can hardly bear to look at it. No, if you have white bread at home, I, I'm innocent. I didn't spy in your kitchen. I'm not, I'm not the nutrition police. You are free in the Lord to eat white bread, any kind of bread you want. I'm just trying to make a point in this message that, spiritually speaking, we don't want wonder bread. We want the solid health bread that will do a much greater wonder of transforming our being and making us the body. God's eternal purpose is to have a group of saved and regenerated people who have become one as an organic body to carry out his administration. Amen. Now he has the body, just like my body. You may, and anyway, with my body, I live through it. The personal administration in my life is carried out through my body. If I don't have a functioning body, I may be full of desire, full of thought, full of intention. I cannot execute anything. Everything in my person is carried out through my body. The principle is the same with the body of Christ. All that's in him as the head is administrated through the body. So the body of Christ is the corporate Christ, the body Christ. The corporate Christ is composed of Christ himself as the head and the church, as his body with all the believers as his members.